0: Well, uh, welcome to Black Men Speak. Uh, it's a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. I'm your host Keith Dent, and I know you're—you probably have been wondering you hadn't seen me in a while. But it's great to be back. Uh, it's, it's not always about quantity, but it's about quality, and I want to always bring you quality guests. And when we have stuff to talk about, and you know, today we definitely have something to, to talk about because we're going to be speaking with uh, Jay Dillard, and he's a sought-after barber, entrepreneur, and author. And so we're just going to really talk about his journey. Uh, he has a JD, the barber, kid barber series that I thought was just fascinating. And um, and what, what's great about it is that it basically highlights, I guess it's, you say the niches for middle school boys young boys um, and it helps them maybe think about uh, being passionate about what they want to do in life we know a lot of times you know there's this thing out there that black boys don't really read as much or if we want to look at data it's kind of they may be um, lower on the scale in regards to reading and and when they do read um, you know some of the characters that are out there are really focused on the, the entertainers the athletes Um, which there's no problem with that if they are reading those and kind of getting a taste but we need more well-rounded and more um variety in our books and um and this is a great book i think that will be uh beneficial so i can't wait to talk to him because you know he he turned uh, a bullying incident into triumph and so i want everybody to hear you know his story and how he was able to do that and um jd welcome to the show
1: hey guys thanks for having me
0: so let's see you're you you live in meridian or you grew up in meridian mississippi is that that right Uh, did i get that right
1: yes i was uh technically born in a city called vicksburg vicksburg okay i've heard
0: of vicksburg (laughs) yeah i think from what civil war days
1: that Um, is correct battle of vicksburg well vicksburg but in all retrospect it was really called. The vicksburg massacre but you know the history we have a tendency of cleaning things up yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> of course of course um but you know kudos to even remember that you know because you know you can only read you know they probably don't even have the battle of vicksburg in books today but which is crazy in itself but that's a whole nother topic <laughs> um, sure. um but you you were born in vicksburg you grew up in meridian is that right that is correct Okay, and what was what was Meridian like back then? That was probably in the eighties, right?
1: Eighties and and nineties. That's correct. So, quick history lesson: I was born in a city called Vicksburg, and I, from that point, I moved to Jackson for a year. Then I was raised in New Orleans. Then uh, after my aunt, you know, suffered a, uh, a seizure giving birth, um, my mother asked me to come back to Mississippi, and I went to Meridian. So that's kind of like a little backstory. But to okay. answer your question. For some who don't know, Meridian is the fourth largest city in the state of Mississippi. Um, Oh, wow. Okay, no. Wow, okay. (laughs) It's the east of the Mississippi, and we're currently 15 minutes away from the Alabama state line. And uh, there's only one high school there. And going between Louisiana and Alabama, Georgia, you almost have to pass through Meridian.
0: Okay. And one of my um, guess who's listening, Meridian, is David Ruffin territory. So I guess... um (laughs) You know, we, we got some we got some educated bro- listeners on tonight.
1: <laughs> the Ruffin is one of them and uh, Derek McKee, who went pro, played for the Supersonics for Meridian.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, another hip hop artist, Big Crit, uh, who signed a Def Jam Records who live in Atlanta. He's from Meridian, including okay. myself.
0: OK. All right. You're among, some, you're among some celebs. All right. That's fantastic. Absolutely. OK, so yeah. So then we're going to kind of go back to 1999 so when it started all when it all started so your mom was cutting your hair and you know we know how moms are got to get you ready for school and um if it's a choice between you know maybe getting school supplies or what have you and um they're gonna they're gonna find a way to uh save something so they can make sure you're all good but maybe the clothes wise but okay i can cut your hair so decided to do that i don't know if it was the first day but probably pretty close and and so it went horribly wrong. So one of the questions I thought, well, what was wrong? Of it was it was it the was it the hairline or was it the side? What was it that really um, looked bad?
1: Um, that's a great question. So the book is based off true events, and my mother did cut my hair the day prior to I had to go to school. Growing up, you had kind of had like hand me downs type, but my grandparents, you know, and them being the matriarch of the home at that time. They would take us out to go get clothes. But to get back to your question dealing with the haircut, my mother wanted to save money and spend quality time with me and my baby brother. So needless to say, she just gave me an even all over. But it was the edge up you did ask about that kind of like, you know, catapult the whole situation. So my mother gave me a very feminine edge, which is basically like a circle. Oh, okay. um, Which is uh, a very um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a popular shape up for feminine women, especially with the pixie cuts and so forth. And I just think she kind of followed or just modeled behind that when edging up her mm, me at okay. the time. And uh, you know, it was, uh, it was traumatizing. I'm <laughs> so,
0: so I guess that's safe to say you, you remember some of the names that you recalled. Um You know, I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to trigger you, you know, as a trauma moment, but what were some of those things that you heard, you did here?
1: Oh, man. I didn't think it was more so some of the terms, but it was just more so like, you know, look at you, you know, it was biscuit head or somebody effed up your shape up. Who um, mm-hmm. cut your hair? You know, let me go slap the barber who did it. It was just, us kids growing up, it was just very ruthless in terms of the things we used to say to get up under people's skin or right. just to turn around and giggle out of it. But, um, Needless to say, it was a very, very rough two weeks because when I was growing up, by the time you hit the building, if you had on a hat, do rag, anything of that nature, it had to come off. Comparing in to today's time, you can go right. in with a scully, whatever. I wish I had that opportunity then, but and the time when I was coming up, no, that that wasn't going down. So right, you don't I think had-
0: about that because you could, you you couldn't. There was hoodies. I mean. You didn't really wear hoodies you had a locker you didn't you couldn't just wear them around school because back then it wasn't the popular and so and then hats and all those kinds of stuff was not allowed in school so yeah That's i'm true. sure i'm sure it was a rough two weeks <laughs> <laughs> rough two weeks Very rough. Um, but one of the things that which i thought was quite fascinating is that you you turned turn that negative experience into a kind of your passion so i'd love to hear How you did that, because. Usually, oftentimes when there is some negative experience, we'll try to run away from it as soon as much as possible. So I'd love to hear how you were able to do that.
1: Yeah, um, that's another great question. You have some great questions, Keith. Um, So that experience and being traumatized and being teased and and bullied during that particular time, um, I told myself right then that. I would never allow that to happen. I would never allow myself to be embarrassed, especially with something that wasn't within my control. But at some point I wanted to have a sense of control moving forward in terms of situations. So with that being said, when it was time for me to get another haircut, um, I took my mother's clippers and I just basically locked myself in the bathroom. And let me kind of give you, uh, set the scene real quick for your audience. Um, when I was coming up, guys, um, we didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have haircutting charts. We didn't have pictures and things of that nature. It was none of that when I was coming up in Mississippi. So I want to make sure I set the scene. So now right, we, we didn't, and the you didn't have the black <laughs>
0: ink either. <laughs>
1: that wouldn't didn't have didn't that. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. None of that was available to us during the time when all this was happening during my time period. So i went into the bathroom and i just know that it came with four different guards a pair of oysters corded sticking into the wall and i have four different guards and remind you it wasn't different levels on the side of the neck it was just one and you had to put different cutting guards on it right. so i just re- so i just took the one and i took a deep breath and mind you i didn't know anything about cutting capes or any of this stuff so i just took old bed spread and I basically wrapped it around, you know, what I'm saying my, my neck right. and I just took the clipper and I, you know, we have what we call we don't have a mirror. We have what you call a medicine cabinet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> or some people say then I have what you call a vanity mirror, which is very small and it was feminine. Usually women would have it. And that's what I did. I uh, went in the direction that my hair was laying down and i just know going from the crown of my head where i felt a little apart uh, and um from brushing and combing and i just kind of went forward that way and once i got done you know i took everything off and looked at it and i thought it was presentable i walked out the bathroom and that's kind of how my career started because you know shortly after that you know my mother didn't know i cut my hair and she was she said you went to the barbershop who where you get money from to get your hair cut and i like no i was like i was nervous because she didn't know that i took her clippers right once i got all that down and got the nervousness out this looked her in the eye i told her that i did it and she still couldn't believe that and then i showed her i said look this is what i did i went with the grain of where my hair was laying because i was afraid if i went the opposite direction i would have bald my head so from that point on my mom looked she said hmm and she went on about her business. And then from that point, I felt so prideful that even though she didn't say, I'm proud of you, she just kind of gave me that sense of gesture that, okay, you know what I'm saying? And from that point, that's kind of like how, you know, my career started.
0: Did she know, and I know I'm going back, but did she know you had been bullied before? Or did you, did you kind of keep that in, to yourself?
1: No, I can't speak for anybody else, but you know a kid and um uh, being teased and stuff like that that was kind of like the norm you know we didn't look at it as abusive or whatever the case that's just you know what it was it didn't matter what your race ethnicity boy your girl black or white it was it was just you know our way of communicating per se right. you know so like it was anything while i was getting you know punched and beat up it was just a lot of you know slaying you know certain profanity um, I so went back in the day, I don't know if you remember, you used to slap the back of your head. Yeah, you yeah. You know, I had instances that, you know, they kind of happened. And uh, and to be honest with you, you know, it was some triggers, you know, because I really wasn't that type of person who enjoyed that. But at the same time, you know, I never wanted to embarrass my family. I never wanted my mother to come to school to discipline me right. based on that, could have been controlled. So... And that was right, because I mean,
0: right, technically, they were, not only were, were they talking about you know your haircut, but also kind of indirectly your mom's, because she was the one that cut your hair. So it's like, okay, you know. This,
1: so if it was a nice haircut, and I, well, the haircut wasn't that bad, but it was the edge up. So yeah. if it was fun, I would have got compliments. And, you know, absolutely, I would have been cheering my mom on the whole time. But very few and uh, far in between actually knew who did it you know, because number one, I was embarrassed because sometimes they think you don't have enough money to go to the barbershop. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you know, my mother wanted to save money and spend quality time, you know, with her sons, however long it took her to cut out hair. And I was appreciative of that because they gave right. me opportunity with my mother because, you know, my mom was cool. Right. Awesome.
0: And so, so you kept doing that. Um, uh, I know, I just, I wondered if, did word get around that, you know, you had skills and you started cutting other people's heads
1: over time? Yes, it didn't happen um, right away because mm-hmm. it's one thing to bad haircut. That's another thing to come back to school with a decent haircut. And all of a sudden you are telling people that you did it because, you know, amongst my peers, we're kind of like I have to see it to believe it type. Okay. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Unlike other people, you know, you just pretty much tell them exactly this was transpired and boom, this is what it is. But absolutely. So it it took a little minute. I was very fortunate. I had a little brother, you know, who's my guinea pig. And I had a chance to, like, butcher him for several years. So now, you know, he's a grown man with dreads and he would never let me touch his hair again.
0: (laughs) I mean, and then back back then the barbershop was kind of the place to go. I mean, it still is for a lot of brothers. So I'm sure that um, that hangout, you know, it's, it's kind of tough just like for women, you know, when you find your find your hairdresser, you know, you have to move heaven and earth to switch. So I'm sure it also goes the same way for your barbers, for men as well.
1: That is correct. It's the, uh, it's a cornerstone of a lot of neighborhoods and a lot of cities. And whenever I do speak to people like yourself and other educators, I always express to people that a barbershop or hair salon is basically really your first social media outlet. You came there for your gossip. If you need to get hooked up on something, you came there for there. You have all the different conversations about, church to religion to politics to, to sports to who's talking to who or who's married to who or who's hanging out with who. You got all that type of camaraderie, you know, from the checkers to the space to, you know, the dice game in the bag It depends on where you at. And a lot of stuff and transactions came through the barbershop. And man, it was just a cornerstone of, of Meridian. And I was very grateful that I had opportunity, you know I'm saying to actually go through some barbershops, you know, growing up and kind of mirror my career behind some things I've experienced. Yeah.
0: And so um, at 20 at 22, you know, you you go to Tuskegee and, and you decided to also at the time start a business. And so what was the catalyst behind that? Uh, that would be my first question. And then how are you, that would be one. And then two, how were you able to kind of manage the college experience with also being a business
1: owner? Gotcha. Great question. So to back up a little bit, I was at, I was at Tuskegee already prior to 22 years old. So okay. I got a football scholarship. OK, uh, that's what, OK. That's what got me out of Meridian. Oh, and, wow. OK.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, I knew that. I told my mother that young. I said I wouldn't get a scholarship and, you know, go pro and do all this cool thing. She'll never have to pay for school. So I got to Tuskegee and I had emergency surgery. I had appendix that burst and I caught an infection in mm. spring of 97. And I was basically pronounced dead because I was walking around with it for roughly like two weeks, didn't know what was going on until I went to the doctor on campus and he told me I had to have surgery. And I'm like, you know, I'm a football jock. I ain't nobody cutting on me. I ain't never had surgery a day in my life. So I walked out of the office and I collapsed. That was at 9.30, about 1.45 p.m. I was in East Alabama Medical Center in Opelika, Alabama, on the other side of Auburn. And uh, I was in surgery. So, and my mother and them have to travel down from Mississippi but anyway, that being said, that was an experience that kept me in the hospital for six weeks. Mm. And I knew I recovered from everything. I wasn't going to play football again. And my life changed, you know, like. a wow. So except doing what we consider like a 360, I basically did like a 180 or kind of pivot a little bit. I knew I never wanted to be looked upon as a college dropout because Tuskegee was um, it's a private funded school and the tuition, you know, was up there. So by me not playing football no more, I no longer have my scholarship. So now in order to stay in school, you have to get grants, uh, pay out of pocket or get loans. So I didn't want to take out major loans because I didn't want to be responsible for all that money. So I had—I just remember I had this gift of cutting hair. And I was dating a young lady in college at the time. And what was so dope about it, she was my first investor. So she took her rent money for the following month and she gifted it to
0: me.
1: Mm-hmm. Gifted it to me. I had to get back. So (laughs) she gave me her rent money for the following month. And I took that money and I secured a building, which was three blocks down from Tuskegee University campus. And uh, I went on my first barbershop and I kept that barbershop for 18 to 19 years. And it was called um, University Barbershop 1881. You know, and that was the year Tuskegee was erected, July 4th. And what I did was completely different. I was doing seven dollar haircuts at the time. And doing homecoming, especially events, I would go from seven dollars haircuts to what I considered um, higher rates based on special events because other people was coming in town. And before people get in all the uproar while my haircuts are so affordable, it's very simple. Uh, I felt I was ahead of the curve because I understood my demographics. Uh, Macon County, where Tuskegee set in, was mm-hmm. the poorest county in the southeast region at that time. So understanding that the uh, the average raise coming through that was $18,000 a year, I have to turn around and set my base based on what was actually coming through locally, not including college students. So my rent was only 400. And I had 1,800 square feet. That's how amazing that was at that particular mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Being in Alabama, you didn't need barber's license during the time I first opened up my shop. The only thing I needed at that particular time was renter's insurance and liability insurance. So I secured both of those, um, got them approved um, and then from that point my shop was up and running and I really didn't have any competition if you know you had local barber shops there and reason to demand I had a blueprint that was always in my mind. I used to cut hair in the, in the dorms like a lot of people did then and probably still do yeah. it to this day. Yeah. So what I did was to alleviate all my my competition, Every female and male that I knew that was cutting the hair in the dorm, I went in and I approached them. Or well, if somebody knew and had a relationship with them, I told them to come have a conversation with me. So I took all of my competition out of the dorms and put them in the shop with me. I gave them thirty days of free booth rent, and then from that point, I would never charge them booth rent during holiday season if they have to go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Once that oh, wow, happened, the shop that, took off.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So and so just for. As a as a for context, what was the what was the average amount um, that someone could get for a haircut back then? Because you said you were charging seven dollars, which um, I am assuming it was like in the 90s, probably. And I'm thinking and I'm over the top of my head that the average might have been, what, uh, 10 bucks, I guess.
1: No, we're talking about it was uh, one barbershop there, legendary gentleman by the name of Brace Barbershop. And um, he won all kinds of trophies and medals for playing uh, professional checkers. And he would come in and actually do $3 haircuts until the day he died. $3 mm. haircut, walk out with a pocket full of money. But needless to say, he was a speed barber. So he'll come in, give you a basic even all over, edge you up without a razor, uh, no hot towel, no lather, nothing like that, and get you in and get you out. Like, it was incredible to actually look at that and witness that, man. Like, a lot of people of color, man, we're just some amazing talent. And to see that in a poverty-stricken county and city, you know, based on what I saw, I just thought that was extremely dope. So on the average, me charging at that time $7 haircuts, not including tips, I'd probably walk away with anywhere between like uh, 60 to maybe 100 bucks because I was running between 8 to maybe 15 haircuts a day. And that's not including tips. So if I get tips, I will always take the tip money and I will leave it in the shop because I never look at tip money as profit. I just look at it as something that was considered miscellaneous. Right. So time I did, eventually went up on haircuts, you know, from 7 to 10, 10, 12, 12, 15. And then you have you kind of have your cap, you know, because sometimes us barbers within the industry, we have this rule, you know, across the nation and county and city, we should all be charging the same. And I always, eh, like my rent is not that much. Um, and then this is the county that I'm in and I have to be mindful in terms of what people are making on the average between wage and salary, and in addition to that, how often do my clientele that I'm establishing are actually coming in in terms of returning clients. Is it weekly, bi-weekly, strictly on weekends, and on top of that, certain holidays, back to school, when it slows down during the summertime, during the holidays. So I was very mindful of a lot of things to that nature. So my common denominator was always look for new clientele. Right. You know what I'm saying? And that new clientele, you know, you can probably change the price differential a little bit. But for the most part, the more new clientele I had, I never worry about that in terms of going up on this price or that price. I only did it when it was necessary based on my demographics.
0: OK. OK. And but on. But if in the other the other businesses around other barbershops in the area, they were they were charging more than you were or
1: were they charging less? That's the thing. I never actually went and find out what other people was charging. That was just one local barber who was there since the 30s, 40s, and 50s, 60s, 70s. However long he was there, I just knew he never changed his price. Oh, I see. And yeah, it was, that's just what it was. But you can go 15 minutes up the road to Auburn, Alabama, which Auburn University is, and your average haircut might have been like 10 or $15. Gotcha. You know, somebody, because you got to take in consideration if you're not of color, most people come in, might get a trim, or go to a salon and get a haircut once a month. You know we come in and like to be groomed more so weekly or bi-weekly right so what my target was and how to go about doing that
0: okay okay mm-hmm. that's great and so
1: over you know over the time you you
0: have the business going and then you shifted a little um you decided that you and then you wanted to be a an author and there may be some t- other things that you did in between but then um you say, well, I'm going to write a book. So why, why such a shift?
1: Hmm. Well, I knew I always wanted to write a book, but to be honest with you, Keith, I never wanted to write an adult contemporary book. And and reason why I said it, because if I went major or independent route, whichever the direction I would have went, um, once you take it to market, at some point it will eventually fade. And in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to make a change. And the best way to make a change, you have to affect the youth. So I needed to create something that can be inspiring, but not only inspiring, can give people a reason to want to come back, continue to read, and also pass it on to the next generation. And that's how I got into the industry. That was my thought.
0: Okay. Because, and I know we didn't talk about the education system so much in Mississippi, but, um, is that one of the focus, what are the reason why you wanted to focus on kids because of, you know, maybe how, um, uh, kids were being taught in, in the, in the city?
1: Um, no, not at all. Um, I actually got a great education. Okay. Um, it was only, it was only one high school in Meridian, uh, still to this day, um, high school at that time was only 10th, 11th and 12th. And you had okay. your two which was Kate Griffin, which I think from my understanding they demolished that. And then those ninth grade students had now came over to the high school. And then you had Northwest, where I attended, you know, and where your, your credits, you know, initially starts. But they were very big on education there in Meridian. And um, it was twice within four years I got perfect attendance because I truly loved school. I did miss. So it was rain, you know, shine, sleet and snow, as we say, growing up in the South, um, I truly enjoy school, and um two out of the four years I graduated with honors except for my senior year. Um, my grade slipped a little bit because I had more focus on you know sports and trying to get the scholarship Yeah, and a lot get of the- that scholarship yeah, yeah, but I still graduated within the top 100 of my class. it was like three hundred and eighty six of us and uh, we had a large graduation class because, like I said before, it's only one high school there, but yeah, my education was great. I was taking French and 10th and 11th grade, you know, French one and two, I learned how to type properly um, at that time um, using a typewriter in 10th grade. Her name was Miss Barnes. And that's how I learned how to type. Then my mother and grandmother used to type and do, you know, pamphlets for the church. They used to do that fluently. So that's how I got into learning how to type. And then from that point, shifted over to a keyboard. And then from over that time, you know, you morph into a laptop. So I remember a lot of those things that I learned at a very young age that kind of carried on to my adulthood. So in terms of writing the book, it wasn't because of the lack of education I, re- I received great education, because I also have a mother and grandparents who, man, they stress education. Like even mm-hmm. when school was out, my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather, they had reading assignments. It was vacation Bible school it was always something dealing with education because I come from a major educational background on both sides of my family. So that makes sure you're not gonna be a dummy walking around here at at all. You're gonna be knowledgeable, you know, reading and writing and how to do cursive, which is now being tossed out of the school system. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, correct uh, punctuation and also grammar and just knowing how to conduct yourself. And I learned a lot from family surroundings as well as school but the writing part, you know, they came slightly after that. And man, I'm just never thought I'd be here on a platform with you. And as of right now, this has been, you know, an amazing experience so far.
0: That's great. And so the um, set the scene, what is the, what are the books about? And um, what has And you, cause you did answer the memoir thing. Cause I was wondering why you may, didn't focus on adults, but Uh, What is it about? And what is really the feedback that you get, especially from uh, young men or young adolescent boys of color?
1: Great question. So I'm backing up a little bit. First start writing the book. I wrote my first draft, which is called Follow Your Clippers, back in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was really doing. So with that particular piece, Um, I commissioned a gentleman by the name of Michael Fanning. Um, He was a manager at a Smoothie King in my building downtown Atlanta at the time. And um, he was a hell of a writer. Um, Didn't look at any of the stuff he did. And he was just very good at what he did. And he and I forced a relationship. And he sit down and we began to put some things together. And I did my first draft, which was Fall Your Clippers, about, you know, a barber named Otis. And, you know, there's a mother who coming in was a single parent and uh she had a child who was very disruptive and she really when it comes to being in public in those you know scenes um she really didn't know how to control him so otis being you know who he was he just asked the mom to have a seat and a lot of times where we as adults or barbers and other people we have a tendency to want to calm a child down by turning around and give them sweets candies things to that nature um in this particular instance we don't do that because we do know you know through uh not only psychology, but through anatomy, that it makes you hyper. So Mm -hmm. Otis gave this kid a clipper, and he's looking at this clipper. Not only does he calm down, he's fascinated, so he asks him to hold it. And while he's holding it, he's conversing with the child, and in the midst of all that, he's able to cut his hair. So once everything was done, you know, he will wave the mother over, and the premises of the story has his ups and downs, you know, good and bad days, And of course, the end of the draft is this child ended up growing up being an adult. He remembered all the stories and education and stuff he learned from his mother and as well as his barber. And needless to say, he ended up opening his own shop and the cycle starts over again. But that got submitted and it got rejected. So I was discovered by a lady by the name of Christina Morgan. And uh, she was introduced to me and she asked me to send her the draft. And she said, look, that's cool. But if you're interested and you trust me, I can make you a better writer. So I took the, uh, the opportunity and I took the challenge with her and we sat down an hour, maybe every week, even though I was on tour full time. And she would just ask me questions and we opened up computers. She told me how to download Google Docs and she would just ask me questions about things in my past that as an adult, I don't think I will really remember. Mm-hmm. But it was just I, she would ask certain questions. The next thing I know, I'm just there laughing with her. And I'm just writing and laughing and laughing and writing. Now we just kind of going back and forth, creating dialogue. And she showed me how to take trauma and things that happened in the past and make it funny. Because I didn't see anything funny about <laughs> Wow, that, right.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. At all. And, uh, and she gave me structure. So when I tell people I can't take any credit for where I'm at, it's people who believe in me. And I talk about that wholeheartedly. And now, like I said before, this is where I'm at with the brand. So to answer your question, J.D. the Kid Barber Series is loosely based off my life growing up in Mississippi. So it's a three book series. And for your readers and your audience, book one is called J.D. and a Great Barber Battle. The cool thing is we made history, guys, because now this is the first children's book series that actually mentions anything about a barber battle the first barber battle was actually created in nineteen ninety nine back in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Bronner Brothers hair show. That was the very first barber battle every mm. mm-hmm. that's the history. So it's loosely based off my life and we set the scene based on things I was coming up through the third grade. It was the Sunday night prior to me actually going to school the first day. But I'm gonna morph into book two, which was called JD and the family business. Now we morphed into me dealing with my sister Vanessa who's a YouTube sensation. But not only that, once I morph out of my bedroom, she becomes a cosmetologist or a hairstylist. But to get into book three, um, it's called JD and the Hair Show Showdown. So, you know, JD, he goes from being locally known to now having a YouTube and social media presence. Now from that point, he's being sought after. Now he'd be able to take his talents and actually showcase that on the main stage within a glam ministry, as we per se with the hair expos. Now he began to take his talents there and you know, he has this support, you know, and it's overwhelming and he don't know he can perform something from a local level around his peers to a bunch of complete strangers. But needless to say, you know, he prevailed to a certain extent. I can't tell the book. I hope you guys get the opportunity to read it and enjoy it. And you know, other good things continue to happen.
0: Wow that's that's fascinating and and so and so what has actually been the response from young people when they when they actually pick up the book and and start to read it what have they thought about it
1: incredible um growing up the way i I did i can't speak for anybody else you don't have any expectations you know you turn out to have faith you have your support you work hard and over time you know things will come through fruition you know but the response was just completely overwhelming. Um, we launched February of 2021 Black History Month, and um, they pushed it from 2020 during COVID year, mm. which I'm very because I'm like oh, a whole year. I was kind of felt bad about the situation, but I trust my team, and they have my best interests at heart. And trusting my team, when we actually launched, we launched all three books within one calendar year. Because technically, whenever you do a series. Whenever you have people interested, you want to drop a book every ninety days.
0: Oh, so in okay. our
1: case, in February, then we dropped the second one within July, August, and we dropped the next one in October, which was still within, um, a eight to ten months. No, nine month span. So um, the response was overwhelming. We was getting emails and text messages and DMs, and we created a brand for JD Decure Barber IG and Twitter page. Then we set up the website. And from that point, what I love about signing with Penguin Random House, their engine alone began to populate through social media, through Google. In addition to that, it had us on shelves. I'm on shelves in Walmart. I'm on shelves in Target, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. We have five-star ratings all over Amazon and all of the other local bookstores, especially uh, the mom-and-pop bookstores, the Melanated bookstores, the local libraries. People began to pick up this book. It was just flooding, and book one just took off like a rocket. Keith, everybody always telling me it's so relatable because at some point in their life, somebody got a bad haircut. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Okay. They dad, they mom, somebody got a bad haircut. And basically, doing it. When this book dropped, everybody was trying to cut hair at home because they couldn't get to the salons and barbershops. Everybody got bad (laughs) hair. So, oh, yes, was um, it was overwhelming. Like I said, I have no expectation because you'd be disappointed so much. You have no expectations. But it's been not has been. It's still great, Keith. It is. Man, it's is it great? It's only two things I wanted out of this deal. When Christina asked me, I said, number one, I like to strive to be a New York Times bestseller. And the second thing I would like, I just want to make my mother proud because it's like I'm throwing her up under the bus per se. But okay. I'm not because I'm telling my truth because she did give me a bad haircut. was
0: well, the truth, right? Right,
1: that's <laughs> <was> the truth. <laughs> uh, but,
0: um, but I mean, look, her, um, knowing that her name will be immortalized, I'm sure she'll be all right. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be
1: okay. I, I mother, man. She's she's in her 70s doing her thing, retired, you know, love her to death, but absolutely. But yeah, I I, I hope so,
0: yeah, and so. And then I've read that you are even going to even to the next level in producing a TV series called uh, Junior Master Barber. So I thought that was quite interesting uh, because, you know, all the different reality shows that are out there. But uh, right. what, what is the actual show about? I mean, I know it's not uh, in production yet, but if you can give me a kind of a brief synopsis.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's um, we've submitted everything to uh, to Writers Guild, so it's protected, so I have the ability to talk about it loosely. So um, I'm going to put you in the mind of this TV show on Fox with Gordon Ramsay. Are you familiar with uh, MasterChef Junior? Oh, yes, yes, I am. Okay. So, a bunch I of never amazing- watched it,
0: but, you know, I know because I know he can be mean. I ain't trying to <laughs> say I, can, I don't want to see kids crying, you know.
1: <laughs> that part. So... I'm not going to be mean. I won't even be in the show. I'm just going to EP behind the curtains. Okay. So technically, I uh, I somewhat enjoyed that that series. So I wanted to use kids between the ages of 9 and 15 and build a series around kids of the ages of 9 and 15. Because in today's time, you can go to YouTube and type in young barbers or young hairstylists, braiders, and you'll find a plethora of kids of all ethnicity, all race, all creed, under the age of 15, doing work and cutting hair better than what I was doing. I didn't get good until I was in my 20s and 30s. Oh, really?
0: Yeah, that's surprising. Okay.
1: I was very good in terms of the basics and what my peers wanted, but I got better being around other good barbers from different regions and other parts of the country. So, And that's how I began to take my craft to the whole new level. But I built Junior Master Barber, constructed around that, So, and I'm excited about it. So now kids have the opportunity to come and compete for cash and prizes. So technically what they'll be competing for, you know, it's kind of like the winner takes all, but the person who actually wins the competition, they will be sponsored by a major Clipper company for a complete whole year. Um, They get record. They'll win cash and prizes up to maybe like eight to $10,000 in cash and prizes. But the overall grand prize is, him or her, whoever wins the competition will receive a full-fledged scholarship to a beauty school once they graduate high school. So your education, once you win that competition, is now paid for by us.
0: That's great. That's great. Because I, a lot of times, I mean, some of the things that hold us back from excelling, you a know, passion, is kind of the bootstrapping that we're trying to do. So the fact that you're able to exponentially springboard someone's career um i think is uh fantastic i can't wait to see it because i mean i have this hat on one because like you i don't have any hair so (laughs) and it was quite cold and and, um so it's like hey uh i'm not down south where it was like i wouldn't have to wear it i'm up here in the east coast and um (laughs) yeah right so to see um uh you just young people i think that's a lot of that is missing nowadays, giving young people an opportunity to take their gifts and um, and just get the foundation behind it because they, they you know, they're talented. But if they can have the education behind it as well, it just makes it even more uh, impactful for their for their lives. And so I'm, I'm really glad to hear that.
1: I definitely agree with you on that. It's my vision when it comes to that. I, I never really looked at in terms of creating an opportunity for for these these young talented children. I tell people they create value and they create their own opportunity. Technically what it is, I see what it is they've created and I basically want to come in and partner with them and just showcase it. You know what I'm saying? Because just like somebody did for me, you know, I've created value for myself and people, you know, they very optimistic and they can look at you as an opportunity and they can take advantage of you. They want to partner with you. In my case, they put the work in at an early age. Um, They have great super adult vision who taught them well within certain crafts. And with that being said, I would just like to come in, you know, take their skill set with the platform we built and let's come in and create a partnership. And then from that point, you know, let's show the world, you know, who is Junior Master Barber and who's actually a part of, you know, Junior Master Barber. And that would be the young talent that's out here.
0: That's great. Great. Well, one thing that's fantastic is that it it is the holiday season and, you know, folks need to. Buy Christmas gifts, and what better way, especially for our, you know, young people, to get them a book to read? So, how would um, how would a person go about? What's the best way
1: to uh, to get your book? Man, pick up a phone. <laughs> okay, holds <laughs> it nowadays. But no, all, all jokes set aside, um, it's several ways. It's just pretty much whatever most good for those. For those who actually shop Amazon, you can just clearly go to Amazon, Pull my name, Jay Dillard, the letter J, last name Dillard, or JD the Kid Barber Series. And all three books will populate, you know, one up upon the other. And um, you, you have the ability to uh, read the bio that was actually redone by my amazing publicist, Nicole. And you'll be able to, you know, see all the reviews. And in addition to that, be able to purchase. We do have softback as well as hardcover. But the cool thing is, which I'd like to, you know, let your audience know as well, we just had the Spanish edition come out on October fifteenth of this year, mm. and we've done so far thirty six thousand copies since October fifteenth in the Spanish edition. So, oh, nice. that's extremely well. Um, for those who's an avid shopper at your major chain stores, um, you can basically go into like a Target and or a Walmart, you know, and go into the um, uh, book department, look for anything between the ages of six and eight or anything really that says Young Readers, you should be able to find all three, if not book one. But for the most part, you can go to Random Penguin House or you can go to the website at jdthekidbarber, all one word, lowercase.com. But there's several ways um, to find it. And the reason why I, I just tell people to kind of Google, only because it doesn't restrict you to one major platform or independent platform. It allows you to wherever you at locally or internationally, and you can you have a plethora of different places that will carry the book you know some for the mom-and-pop libraries and bookstores including the major change stores. so i'm very grateful for both of those and you can pretty much go anywhere and if they don't have it that's a simple phone call say hey i'm looking for this particular book and they'll be more than happy just to order it for you
0: okay yeah and i'll, I'll probably i'll put a link in the in the comments as well so for anyone that's gonna listen to the show they'll have the opportunity uh, to get that. So, um, um, one, before we go, I always like to end, um, my show with a question. Cause, uh, we, as brothers, a lot are always on our grind and, you know, doing what we love, um, not only just for ourselves, for our families, but we don't always take a step back and, and, um, and think about our, um, you know, our quiet, doing a quiet time. Think about stuff. You may be one of those and I, I'm gathering you probably are, but, uh, I really would like to know, you know, as a, you know, as we close out 2022, you know, how are you feeling, you know, as a black man right now?
1: Are we referring stateside or are we just referring to just as a person just, of color, period?
0: Just you, per- yeah, just you, person of color, period. Just in the, in, I don't want to say in America, but just how are you feeling?
1: Um, I feel great. And not because of the position that I'm in, but because uh, I think our voice is getting bigger over time. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of people waking up. It's just people really taking the time, taking a step back and actually doing some research and um, taking time just to really listen to each other, see the importance of, you know, what we bring to the table. Um, Not only just things we actually bring into the table, but how important we are, you know, to our loved ones, our family, having that structure and making sure we have a, you know, a black man in our household, especially moving forward, if you're a parent looking to create a family, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm glad you asked that question. That's a very powerful question because one thing I did do when having my meeting and getting my, my deal or being offered my deal was I was in a group, I was in this setting with just all women and I was the only brother there, the only male there. And I asked them to their eyes, I said, you know, if I were to take this offer or, is it because of you know um we're now in a situation where black lives matter or this me too movement or um you're looking for diversity or is the fact that you really truly believe in a project because what was so powerful to me is i truly wanted other people to see themselves like a young jd on the cover of a book i wanted mm-hmm. them to be able to envision themselves and they can you know reach out and 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 grab at something like that and say hey mom i see this this is super cool and they know this can happen for them either then you know now or within their near future and that was very important to me and i can honestly say keith man they assured me that it was none of those that they uh wholeheartedly agreed with me we put together a plan and like i said before to fast forward to now december 2022 i am on your platform speaking about a person of color on a front cover of a book worldwide fantastic so
0: i would just wanted to give like a shout out my brother roy schuler who was a guest last in the last show ordered all three books so it's oh, um man. so it's definitely have your your story today has resonated uh with folks out there and i look forward to all the all the blessings and everything that's going to come your way
1: thank you so much for having me keith i can honestly say um, for your um, for your audience, your brother, including yourself, um, you know me personally now. Get my information from my from my publicist Nicole, and I like to shout out who brought the character to life is my illustrious illustrator Kim S. Roberts. He's a brother of color from the South, now lives in New York, and he's an illustrator for the New Yorker. And oh, okay. I work, and now he travels with me when we go to elementary schools and we do speaking engagements. And he too had a bad hair growing up. His mom, you know, he had all this beautiful hair and she felt he wouldn't take care of it. She chopped it all off. Now he has dreads down his neck. So, what <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I mentioned is a brother who created this character, which is now known around the, the world. And um, he read the script and it was relatable. And man, he took the uh, the boots by straps and he just created these amazing characters you know, based off my vision and just brought everything to fruition. So I had to make sure that I mentioned this amazing brother. And uh, yeah, man, uh, collective we just out here hitting the road doing our thing. But thank you so much, man. And man, kudos to you, man. Um, you told me some things prior to that's extremely inspiring. I'm not just telling you that because, but, you know, I, too, was homeless not once, but twice in my life, in my 20s and 30s. And sometimes it's good to have um, a mentor of people who's not of relevance or not also your relatives to care and go out your own comfort zone and leave your own family and friends to care for a complete stranger so what you're doing I applaud you for that and I want to say it on your platform and I want to give you your flowers while we're here and uh you know that's amazing bro keep, keep, I, keep
0: thank you. Out. well we'll definitely have to connect um because you know we'll have to get the books uh, definitely for our for our bookcase and stuff like that but we will definitely connect and um, and so we can you know hey whenever you're in New York you know stop in and uh, and see what it's all about
1: absolutely look forward to it
0: well Jay Dillard thank you and uh, we'll talk soon
1: thanks for having me have a good night guys take care well there you go Um,
0: what a great way to close out 2022 we can turn tragedy into triumph and Jay Dillard has shown us How to do just that Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited By me, Keith Depp. You can find previous episodes Right where you're listening Or wherever you get your favorite podcasts And we'll end the year with a quote And this one will come from Marcus Garvey Black men, you were once great You shall be great again Lose not courage or faith Go forward This is Keith Dim from the Black Men Speak Podcast. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, everybody.